Hello, my name is Vance Need, and welcome to episode 14 of the PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another called The Postscript. Now on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe each week will speak with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a myriad of topics. Here on this podcast, the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of those topics that are being discussed and we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Now, in our last episode, we were taking a look at a non-dispensational view of biblical hermeneutics in covenant theology, and that's exactly where we're going to pick it up today with part two. So, let's do this thing. So, if you remember from our last episode, we kind of left on a cliffhanger. We had a great quote by Alan Shelby that talked about the inferred covenants, but we didn't quite look at some of the scriptural basis, and that's what we're going to be doing today. But before we do that, let's take just a couple of moments to review where we were at last time. So a covenant, as we saw in our previous episode, is a divine promise that forms the ground of God's future dealing with mankind. And we saw an example of a biblical covenant, that of the Noahic covenant in Genesis chapter 6, verse 18. And I'll read it just so we can refresh our memory. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Now, I also want to take just a moment to review the definition of covenant theology, which can be understood as this, a system of theology based on covenants that act as a governing category or categories for understanding the entire Bible. Now, with that, we saw three covenants, the covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, and the covenant of grace. And we're going to dive into all three of those right now. So speaking of the covenant of redemption, that covenant made in eternity past by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost for the salvation of mankind, the Legionnaire Ministries website, which is an R.C. Sproul website, kind of a collection of his teachings, says this, The covenant of redemption is the agreement made between the members of the Trinity in order to bring us salvation. We find allusions to it in several biblical texts. Under this covenant, the Father plans redemption and sends the Son in order to save his people. The Son agrees to be sent to do the work necessary to save the elect, John 10, 17-18. And the Spirit agrees to apply the work of Christ to us by sealing us unto salvation, Ephesians 1, 13-14. Now, let's be really clear about something. When we are critiquing covenant theology for inferring their biblical covenants, that's not just a claim that we're making as dispensationalists. That's a claim that they're actually stating. Let's rewind for a second and, and take a look at that quote again. The covenant of redemption is the agreement made between the members of the Trinity in order to bring a salvation we find allusions to it in several biblical texts. So they're being very clear here. We don't find this covenant in biblical texts. We find allusions to it. Now let's take a moment to to look at some of the texts being quoted as the scriptural basis for this covenant of redemption. John 10, 17 through 18 says this, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. 
Ephesians 1, 13-14 says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now, in both of these biblical passages, just like R.C. Sproul's website says, I I can't find a clear covenant of redemption. I don't see that in the passage. Now, I see the word redemption, but that doesn't count because contextually, we're not talking about a covenant of redemption. We're talking about a future event, the purpose of us being sealed as believers by the Holy Spirit, sealed until the day of redemption. So now let's take a look at the scriptural basis for the covenant of works. And to do this, we'll quote O.T. Alice, who we looked at last time. Quote, The relationship established in Eden has properly been called the covenant of works. That it promised life as the reward of obedience is not immediately stated, but is made abundantly clear elsewhere, notably in Deuteronomy. So we see similarities here to the last evidences put forth by covenant theologians by saying it's not explicitly stated, but you see it in different places, like in Deuteronomy. And one of the places in which we can look at in Deuteronomy that O.T. Alice refers us to is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Let me read that for you now. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? So, Let's put the pieces together here, because the claim is that the covenant of works was established in Eden, so we're talking about in Genesis, and yet Deuteronomy expounds upon the covenant of works and and kind of outlines what it is. But note, in Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law, it's being given to Israel, and the passage just in case for some reason you weren't listening. I don't know what you're doing. I mean, it's a podcast. It's all you have to do is listen. But it says, and now Israel, it literally calls out this particular people group. And one of the things we've been taking a look at, a distinctive of dispensationalism, is that there are different people groups in scripture. And one of the keys to understanding how to rightly divide your Bible is simply by asking the question, who is this particular passage written to? Now let's move on to the covenant of grace. Again, looking at O.T. Allen, he says this, This covenant is first set forth cryptically in the words of the Proto-Evangel, which promised Eve ultimate triumph over the enemy of her race. In this covenant, the emphasis is on faith. This is made clear in the wonderful words that are said of Abram, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness, to which Paul appeals to show that Abraham was justified by faith and not the works of the law. So again, kind of the same program that we had in the previous two covenants. Again, take a look at that quote. This covenant is set forth cryptically. Cryptically where? Well, in Genesis 3.15. Let's go ahead and read that again so that we have it fresh in our brains. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So I think cryptically might be the wrong words. I think it's I think it's an enigma wrapped in a mystery in the eye of a hurricane because I can't find that covenant anywhere. I just don't see it, guys. If you do, man, let me know. 
Now, I want to be very clear about something. Just because we don't see the words covenant of works, covenant of redemption, covenant of grace, that that actually doesn't immediately disqualify those things from being true. Now, to be clear, I don't think that they're true. Okay. Again, I'm not seeing it. But the lack of the words there isn't the disqualifying factor. And one of the reasons why we know this is because the word Trinity doesn't appear in your Bible. It's just not there. But the concept of the Trinity is there absolutely. And one of the clearest examples of this we see in 1 John 5, 7 through 8, where it says this, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. So this is a great example of where we don't necessarily see a particular word, but we actually see the concept. So the word makes sense. The doctrine of the Trinity makes sense because the words of Scripture back up what we are proposing. Similarly, the word dispensationalism doesn't appear in your Bible, but dispensations do. And there's an interesting passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 that I think is a great example of a scriptural basis behind dispensationalism. I think it's a great place to end our podcast for today. Listen to what it says here. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And what I find interesting here is not only do we see the word dispensation, again, not a requirement, but it's nice when you're making an argument for an entire way in which you're going to interpret the Bible, but that we also see the specific calling out of the dispensation of the age of grace in verse 2, how that this age of grace was not known in other ages or in other dispensations. Remember the age of grace, the church age is, is almost like a parenthetical in between a Jewish dispensation in the law and a Jewish dispensation in the millennium, but also in verse 7 that Paul is the steward of this particular dispensation. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that that does better. That particular passage is a better case for dispensationalism than the implied, inferred, cryptic evidences put forth by some of the folks that we've looked at today. So as always, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the PS Plus. If you are curious about the Living Faith Bible Institute, I'd encourage you to go to lfbi.org. Currently, there's a class on systematic and dispensational theology taught by Alan Shelby. It's fantastic. You should take it whenever you get a chance. Also, we've talked about this before, but the book Dispensationalism by Charles Ryrie is going to be a great resource for you if you have additional questions. I hope that this episode was helpful in some way, and I hope to talk to you again next time. Take care. Mm -hmm.